Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... And so why would God allow bad circumstances? Because God used it to draw you, or God is using it to draw you closer to Him, or God is using it to draw someone else closer. God is using it to spread the gospel. God is using it for your sanctification, a word we've been talking a lot about in our Philippians study, to give you a more Christ-like character than you have Today, Why does God allow suffering? In today's message, Pastor Jim will be teaching us that the Lord uses every suffering for good. He is in the process of building us through our experiences and drawing us closer to Him. We will learn through the Apostle Paul's example how to experience the reality of joyful suffering. He writes from jail that all these trials actually worked out well for the expansion of the gospel. He was able to keep a kingdom focus even in the midst of bad circumstances. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part one of his message entitled, Joyful Suffering. We'll have more information about the church and how you can get a copy of today's message. But for now, here's Pastor Jim. Well, we have to begin with some really bad news this morning. And the bad news is this, that sooner or later, everyone is going to suffer. Every single one of us. None of us will be exempt from suffering. Now, I wish I could tell you that you won't suffer. But if I told you that you'll never suffer, to be honest with you, I'd have to admit that I'm lying to you. Suffering is part of the human experience, and despite what any of the books at the Christian bookstore might want to tell you, suffering is part of the human experience. The Bible says that it rains on both the just and the unjust, which means that it rains on Christians and non-Christians. We can't run in between the raindrops, can we? and we can't run in between the raindrops of suffering. So Christians will suffer. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered. In fact, that's how you become a Christian. He invites you into his suffering and says, if you'd like to be invited into my suffering and put your trust in me suffering for you, you can become a Christian. The apostles suffered, but for a Christian, it's very important that we realize that our suffering is not wasted, that our suffering is not pointless. Now, I'm not saying that suffering is good. I don't want you to leave here today and get in your car and say, oh, oh, God, please help me suffer. That's dumb, right? That's that's not smart. This week, I had a terrible week, terrible. And then I got sick at the end of the week. My allergies really flared up. And I wasn't praying for that. I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. However, driving to church this morning, I did thank God that I was suffering, that I would have to get up and teach God's word this morning with a triple dependence on him because of how I was feeling. So sufferings, I'm not saying suffering's good, I'm saying that God can prevent our suffering from winning, that God can prevent our pain from winning, and God can bring some eternal good out of it. Now here in the letter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul 
is what we would call a missionary of the Philippian church. He had planted the church there about 10 years before he wrote this letter, that which was about 20 years after Jesus was crucified. And so now it's about 10 years later, he's in prison. They had been supporting him, mailing him money, as we do with many missionaries here in our church. And they sent him a gift when he was in prison. He had been arrested for preaching the gospel. And no doubt, there was probably a little note with it, and we're just thinking, you know, like, okay, what's next? What's going to happen now that you're in jail? How are you doing? And so verses 12 through 26 is really what we would call a, a missionary report. Now, I don't know, how, how many of you have read missionary reports before? Just a quick show. Okay, you've read missionary reports. Now, it's really interesting because usually, and it's maybe because I'm a pastor or maybe it's my personality of not just willing to settle with people. When I say, how are you doing? They always go, fine. And I'm like, that's a terrible answer. You can literally tell me what it is. But, you know, you, you meet a lot of missionaries and you talk to them how things are going and typically they'll tell you that it's just really hard. It's really hard. People just don't care. How many of you have noticed that people just don't care about God? So it's, you know, it's not unique to them. But they mail these newsletters, and I feel sometimes when I read them, it saddens me that they're under a bit of pressure to make it look like things are actually going better than they really are. You know, when you meet them in person, they're like, nobody cares. And they feel like they have to put in their missionary newsletters, like, thousands are coming to Christ, right? But the Apostle Paul doesn't do that. Like Jesus, he's real. You know, John 6, the people leave Jesus and they go, this is a hard teaching. And Jesus turns to the disciples and goes, you want to leave too? <laughs> so everybody's leaving Jesus. He's, he's real about it. The Apostle Paul's real about it, not plastic, perfectly willing to admit that, you know, there he is, he's under arrest, he's in jail, whether it's prison cell or a house arrest or what it is, I think it's in a palace of some sort. The conditions, they can stink. They can be hard. There's a lot of conflict sometimes when you're a Christian, even though you're trying to help people. And there's always controversy. Remember our study in the Gospel of Mark? Spent two years in it, and every turn, Jesus was found himself in some point of controversy. Yet it's very interesting that as we read the book of Philippians, or the letter of Philippians, the epistle of Philippians, the apostle Paul is overflowing with optimism. Why? Because he knows that the Lord is using his suffering for the kingdom of God. Now, do you know that, friend? Do you know that God is using your suffering? Now, typically, I know I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say, do you know that God wants to use your suffering? And if you yielded yourself to God, you would find that he wants to use your suffering. No, not that he wants to. He is. He is. It's just a matter of how he uses it. And what he uses it for, it's a matter of how much of it's just solely for you and how much of it will be exported to others. And the Bible teaches actually that you can have joy in the midst of suffering. Not happy that you're suffering, but you can have an internal joy being excited what God is doing in the midst of and through your suffering. That you can even have optimism through your suffering. And so the title of this morning's message is Joyful Suffering, two things that don't seem to go together at all. If you're taking notes, three things we want to look at this morning and leave a lot of room for each point because, not because I'll be talking forever, although that could happen, right? Leave a lot of room because the points are long. Number one, joyful suffering keeps a kingdom focus in the midst of bad circumstances. 
I'll read it again. Joyful suffering keeps a kingdom focus in the midst of bad circumstances. Look at verse 12. He says, but I want you to know, probably again in the letter, what's going on. I want you to know, brethren, that's, so he's talking to the Christians in the church at Philippi, that the things which happened to me, the arrest, the being in jail, whether he's awaiting trial or he's had a trial and waiting sentencing, have actually turned out, in other words, they've, they've actually really turned out or resulted in the furtherance of the gospel. So the bad things that had happened to him that seemed bad had actually resulted in the good news of Jesus Christ continuing to go forward in the Roman Empire. Now, this is from an earthly perspective what we would say. We would say, where's the Apostle Paul? And we would go, oh, he went to prison. That's not how heaven sees it. Heaven sees it, the gospel needed to go to the prison, so the Apostle Paul carried it there. Now, sometimes we do prison ministries. Now, I'm not advocating that you get arrested, so you're doing prison ministry. And sometimes we go to prisons to do ministry, although, of course, it could happen. A day in our country could happen when it's even happened in a couple places in New Jersey already where people were proselytizing, were speaking about Jesus, and they got in trouble for it. No real hard jail time, but, of course, it's possible. And so the Apostle Paul carries the good news of Jesus with him to the prison. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you don't know much about his life, his life basically went like this. Interesting, the Christian bookstore is always about all these books about, you know, your best life now and how everything's supposed to be great all the time. And the Apostle Paul, what you read about his life, he gets beaten, he gets falsely accused, he's told by people he's a cult leader, he gets stabbed in the back by his friends, he gets deserted by his friends, he gets shipwrecked, he picks up snakes and they bite him, he almost dies, they beat him up, they lay him outside of town, he gets in, he walks in again. That's like an average day for him. It's just like, you you think you have bad days. This guy's life is just full of bad days, but he keeps going. And he's learning, as we're learning, that we have to learn that while his circumstances appear bad, while they seem to be bad for the gospel, I mean, you would think that here we have the most prolific speaker and theologian of the day, the biggest church planter of the day. And and the Apostle Paul is a church planter, not like American church planting, where I'm the youth pastor at some church and I don't like the pastor, so I take a third of the congregation and move three miles away. That's not the way the Apostle Paul planted churches. He went into areas where he knew no one and he didn't go fishing out of the Christian pond. He went fishing out of a different pond of people he knew were gonna hate him for what the things that he said. And so here he's got, he knows it looks like, or people look like it's going to go wrong. And he says, you know, it actually is advancing the gospel. Actually, everything that's going wrong is advancing it. Why? Well, on the one hand, God wants to grow him as God wants to grow you and I in our bad circumstances. On the other hand, we'll be talking a lot about this, is that God wants people to become Christians as a result of your bad circumstances. But there's also something else that we, 2,000 years later, could read about this and say, you know what, I've seen that before. Or you know what, the next time I get into a very difficult situation, I'm gonna try and remember this so I remember the way the Apostle Paul acted in a situation like this. We need to see God at work. We can have our face in the Bible all day long, and that's okay, but eventually we need to see it demonstrated that this stuff is true. Now, many of you 
have experienced bad circumstances. Many of you are in really, really bad, bad circumstances now. And especially for you young people, you think, everything's going fine. It gets harder the older you get. It doesn't get easier. And so why would God allow bad circumstances? Because God used it to draw you. Or God is using it to draw you closer to him. Or God is using it to draw someone else closer. God is using it to spread the gospel God is using it for your sanctification, a word we've been talking a lot about in our Philippians study, to give you a more Christ-like character than you have today. And this is so important that we see this when God, he's not being mean by molding us into Jesus. He knows that suffering is how we become more like Jesus often. He's not being mean, and we should be encouraged in this in the work of the sanctification in our lives, is that God does that work himself. You know how there's things in your life you just don't want to do? So you pick up the phone, right? I just remember, you know, those of us a little older, remember all those jingles? I love jingles. I sing them to my wife all the time. You should pray for her. But, but you know, one of my favorites was called Rotor Rooter. Remember that one? And away go troubles down the drain. Oh, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> like, every time I have a trouble, I'm going to call Rotor Rooter. And, you know, the Rotor Rooter man's going to take care of it. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't job it out to somebody else. He says, I'm going to be personally involved through the word of God and through the spirit of God in your sanctification and in my sanctification. I'm not gonna job it out. I'm not gonna call anybody else. I'm gonna be personally involved in the work of building you. Friends, look at the earth. Forget about humans for a minute. Look at the earth. Doesn't he do good work? He does great work. I mean, this world is beautiful. It's so carefully engineered. It is so artistic. And this is the work that God is doing in you. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So you wonder, well, what happened? Look at verse 13. He says, so it has become evident, like everybody sees what's going on, to the whole palace guard, the guys who are guarding him, and to all the rest, you know, everybody else involved in the whole prison process, you know, the cooks, the families of the guards, everybody like that, people in the city, that my chains are in Christ. In other words, he says, everybody knows that I'm not some two-bit thief. Everybody knows that I'm not some political insurrectionist. Everybody knows that I'm in jail because I was a preacher of Jesus Christ. Now, this is very interesting, and we don't know the process that the apostle had to go through to get to this place, but at least we can see where he is now. He is not asking the question we tend to ask, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Now, what is he asking? He's asking the Lord, why did you send me here? Why did you send me to this place? Now, friends, if you get admitted to a hospital, doesn't that change it? Instead of saying, God, why am I here? But when you start to ask the Lord, Lord, why did you send me here? Think of anything that's bad that's going on in your life. Anything that doesn't seem right. Again, this whole idea of a Christian is this this blessed person who has no problems. It's a lie. It's phony. It's gibberish. I don't care how popular it is. It is not biblical. So any problem that we have, and I would maintain that any problem, any suffering you have, if you go to the cross, you'll find it there. Lonely? There, right? 
Beaten up? There. Falsely accused? There. And so here the apostle Paul knows that. He knows that he's following after his savior. So he's asking the Lord, why have you sent me here? And not only that, why have you sent me here? And who can I tell about you? See, he's going in there. He's there with a purpose. And friends, when we approach our suffering that way, it will make all the difference in the world. Now, prison guards, imagine this guy's prison guards. Have any of you noticed that some of the people you tell about Jesus have no interest in him? Have you noticed that? Some of you are like, no, I haven't noticed that. Then you're not telling people about Jesus because a lot of people you tell about Jesus have no interest. So here they are, the prison guards, all right? Just picture, you know, these are the college football players, all American guys, you know, they got the chicks, they got the contract on the horizon, everything's going good, the future's so bright, they don't need to wear shades, they're just having a good old time with life. And then here they are, and they're chained to this guy, the Apostle Paul. And they're listening to him. What does that tell us? He's a normal guy. He's not a complete weirdo. He's just talking with them about Jesus. But here's the thing that's important. He's not whining and complaining about why he's there. He's less interested in getting out because he knows that God will take care of that, but he's more interested in introducing these prison guards to the crucified and resurrected Christ. I'm convinced that's the difference in his imprisonment versus John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in prison while Jesus was still alive, and he sent messengers to say to Jesus, are you really the one? And in his loving grace, Jesus quotes Isaiah to him, and he says, listen, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see. What is he saying, John? It's gonna be okay. And what happens to John? He dies in prison. He dies in prison. See, Jesus doesn't make a false claim to John the Baptist that you're not gonna suffer because you're following me. That, in fact, might happen. But with the apostle Paul, he has learned, right, that Jesus Christ uses suffering. So what would he tell these jailers when he's, in, when he's chained to them? He would told them that God became a man. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. And he would have said to him, he lived about 30 years ago and he lived a perfect life in your place. He died a sinner's death in your place. He died on the cross for your sins. He is the king of the universe. And the risen king ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God, but he will return one day as a judge to anybody who has rejected his kingly rule. Now just imagine a Roman soldier saying that's what we do anybody who rejects the earthly king caesar we put him down but now they are hearing about the king of the universe and the apostle paul would say listen you can be acquitted of your rejection you can be declared innocent by turning to this king right now and putting your trust in him and what happened as the guards heard the story very important Some of them didn't care. You know, just because you tell people about Jesus and they don't care doesn't mean that your presentation was bad. It means that their heart is hard. And as we say around here all the time, don't be so worried about exactly what you say. Be more concerned about saying nothing. It's actually getting easier in our culture to talk to people about Jesus because they know nothing. People know nothing. Don't worry, if you say something wrong, they'll come to church, we'll try and fix it, right? Or we'll give them books to read or whatever. But tell people about this risen king. 
And while some didn't care, others wanted to know more. And what did they do? They began to listen to the apostle and they actually began to teach and tell others. One of my favorite things is when you give an invitation to our church to someone you know doesn't care about God. And then they tell somebody else about your weird church. And that other person comes. And then they meet me and they go, I go, how did you find out about it? They go, oh, this guy who hates God, he told me about it. I'm like, you're kidding, right? Because God uses all types of things to get people to believe in him. And it says here that it became evident or it became clear that the Apostle Paul was not really their prisoner. That he was a prisoner of Christ. And here's the thing that we have to remember. He was okay with it. He was okay being Jesus' prisoner. Friends, I know uh, some of you would think about someday, what would it like to be a preacher? To be a preacher. I think about that all the time, and I am a preacher, right? I'm like, what would it be like to be a good preacher? <laughs> so, but what would it like to be a preacher? Do you know that suffering is your pulpit? Do you know that suffering is your platform? Do you know that suffering, because people are not watching what you know about Jesus, people are watching, does your Jesus work for you when things are not going well? And suffering provides a unique opportunity to tell people about Jesus. In this, people will see Christ. In your suffering and how you trust Christ, people will see him but they will also see someone willing to suffer in order to have a chance to bring salvation to another person. And that's the gospel. That Jesus Christ was willing to suffer to bring salvation, to bring the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to you. And sometimes God will call you to model that for someone else. So when they see it active in your life, when they see it active in my life, it will actually transition quite easily how it was seen in the life of another. You say, how would that happen? Someone would tell you, I don't see how you're still living for God in the midst of everything that you are going through. And then what do you say? Because I saw Jesus Christ suffering for me. I saw him on the cross for me. I saw him willing to die for me. And I've come to love what he's done for me so much that I would be willing to suffer for him even if suffering was the only way I could bring the message to you today. That's not weird. It's not weird. It is a natural transition if you've really seen what God has done for you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Paul's last letter, he's in jail, and he says this to his young protege, Timothy. He says, you know, I'm in chains, but the word of God, it will never be chained. Don't worry about it. And how many times have we said here, have you noticed the gospel keeps going forward even though the apostles are gone? And you know what? It doesn't depend on any of us, does it? It just keeps going and going. And may I be so blasphemous to say, Jesus isn't even here. Now, the power of his spirit and the power of his word is here. He's here through the spirit and here through his word. But what needs to happen is people need to be told the good news of Jesus Christ. And so choosing to focus on what the Lord is doing, which is not always easy, it's also powerful to believers too. Look at verse 14. 
He says, and most of the brethren, those are Christians in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, notice this, because I got arrested, they don't want to say a word? Not at all. He says, are much more bold to speak the word or the truth without fear. Well, that concludes the teaching portion of today's broadcast of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Moores Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Join us next time as Pastor Jim continues teaching through the book of Philippians. You can learn more about Changed by Love and Pastor Jim by visiting our website. The web address is changedbyloveradio.com. Again, the web address is www.changedbyloveradio.com. Changed by Love exists because of the generous donations of our listeners, and we would like to ask all of our listeners who have never written us to preferably consider writing us today and let us know that you are listening to the broadcast. In fact, many of your letters are read to our congregation to encourage them in this ministry. You can write to us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You can also give us a call for more information, request resources, or for prayer at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. You can also send us an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. If you are in the Morris County, New Jersey area, we would love to have you visit us. We are located in the center of Morris County on Route 15 South. That's all for today. Until next time, God bless you, and our prayer is that you too would be changed by love.